Welcome to the Stafford Beer Brain of the Firm Reading Group uh, with General Intellect Unit. Uh, this time uh, we are continuing again our read through the final chapter, uh, and we are picking off, uh, picking up at uh, page three seventy four, three seventy five. So we just finished reading the first point here. Uh, in this series of five comments that derive from a perception of the total model, working in its synchronous cyclic mode. Um, so I think I'll just read over the first point again to refresh us, and then uh, we'll just move on into the second. All right, so... Um, the meta-model that generates the naive feedback function necessarily reduces the sum of the structural variety which is generated by all the models that have so far condensed within it. This is simply because the space and time available to the media to communicate the composite meta-model cannot be adequate to report in equivalent detail all the alphabets of interna internationally fraught trouble spots at any one time. There must on average be a variety attenuation at this point. In particular instances, the mass media will make a special effort to preserve the variety inherent in the collection of submodels, if only to combat the contention that they dangerously oversimplify the issues. But they face a dilemma of their own. The more the variety of one world situation is deployed to the various publics, the less time and space is available for others. Thus, in the effort to avert the char charge of oversimplification of some issues, the expectation has to be that they will not only have to oversimplify, but actually to polarize others. And this expectation is certainly fulfilled on many occasions. When, for instance, the public finds that its only choice is to decide whether a particular and newly emerged national leader with a revolutionary government in some distant country is good or bad, in scare quotes. And, of course, that its choice has been made for it by the slant of a two-minute presentation. When the naive feedback function impinges on the crisis itself, it changes all the information flowing through the system, but more especially, its variety. This will change the character of all the transducers, attenuators, and amplifiers, which must perform their functions in terms of an ever-diminishing power of discrimination. The system will soon be galloping around its loops, its own loops, at an ever-increasing pace, driven on and gaining my momentum by infuriated responses to its very naivete. Here, then, are the dynamics of the polarizing tendency referred to in the previous point. As to the synchronicity of all sub-regulators, it seems to impart a beat resonance to the development of events, and that can, in theory, and for instance in practice when flying a helicopter, shake the system to pieces. All right, so thoughts on this one. So it seems like you're having uh, faster and faster cycles with lower and lower variety, uh, which kind of provide uh, 
yeah, like quote unquote polarized results, like uh, uh, highly, like drastically varying results. Uh, so that oscillation can get out of control. Uh, Shane, go ahead. Yeah, I, I like the um, the thing here with the beat resonance, right? That like, um, so what he's talking about. It, I, if anyone if anyone plays guitar or whatever, um, there's a thing where if two notes are very almost in tune, like they're almost the same note but not quite, and you play them together, this is when an instrument is out of tune, right? It's actually far from being, it, but it's it's close enough but not quite there. You get this kind of like kind of pattern that's a beat on top of the notes and that's because the the two sine wave the two sine waves are very close but they're the distance between them then manifests as this this other pattern so if they're one cent apart you get like a a one hertz oscillator on top of them and that's I, i'm not totally sure what beer is getting at here but it's it's another layer of distortion on top of the signals right so not only are the the signals themselves screwed but the interference pattern between the signals produces an erroneous dissonant signal of its own, um, that, and it, it gets its own patterns. Now, if you were to, if you were tuning your instrument and you were to, I don't know, mistake that beat pattern for a note, you'd be way off base, you know. Um, and that maybe that's maybe what he's getting at with like the system eating its own feedback with even less and less ability to discriminate what's going on. Um, Perhaps I don't know. It's just a fun little, fun little metaphor he's got going. Um, I just recently had a friend uh, who had uh, two um, intake fans on uh, his PC oh, no. case uh, that were slightly out of sync, <laughs> and they were producing a beat resonance that was turning the entire case into this big humming instrument yeah uh it, and so uh yeah it's so that, obviously that, that is not good for the case <laughs> it's gonna start to uh wear on all the joints and everything i think that's what uh, now that you've said that i think that's what beer is probably getting at here because this is a thing that shows up in engineering as well where if you have i don't know two drive shafts one going at like 50 revs per second and the, the other going at 50 and a half you'll get a beat pattern that might, in fact, shake the machine to pieces. Um, so, like, it's the the, 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 the the interference pattern between the two cycles can actually be its own kind of sine wave. Um, that's that's what your fan example is getting closer to, actually, is that, like, the, the extra energy that starts to move those pieces around. I mean, with a computer case, it's going to be fairly low amounts of energy, but it'll be there, and it'll, it'll wear on them a little tiny bit. Uh, but that's, it's definitely a thing that happens in, in engineering. Like, you can have a machine shake itself to bits, or the helicopter that he's, that he's referring to, to there. Right. Um, okay, so let's go to uh, Jake and then Matt. Yeah, I think... I don't, I don't know why I keep coming to, like, Twitter with this, coming back to, like, Twitter or just social media in general, but, like, that kind of idea of, like, you know, the system... Get, like, like uh, just thinking of the inauguration recently there's that bernie picture and then suddenly it goes through this this uh cycle of like memes where people make memes about it and then make memes about those and then eventually it shakes itself to pieces and people are like oh, fuck this this is boring like we don't need to see any more of these pictures and suddenly they don't they stop kind of like appearing but i, I so i think it's like kind of interesting the way that, that i guess social media generally like creates these kind of feedback loops that like keep feeding in 
to itself and have created this like weird not monster but monster I don't know but um I yeah so I and I so I think but I think you know taking a, a step back but I think this is you know really what he's talked about of the kind of like you need to inject you need to re-inject variety into the system you can't have it just feedback on itself because it will turn into this thing you need you need you know you can't just um let it because it'll cannibalize itself right until unless you are introducing something else or something that can absorb the variety of it um, which is what the kind of like i think what he says like the system three is four system three four five i guess of like you know if you're talking about like within the kind of system um is what it's supposed to help do i mean i know system two is the anti-oscillatory but i mean just like in terms of uh re rethinking the plan re like reorienting the system or organization to not to like deal with the next cycle of the crisis you know like oh this this thing happens and rather than just like you know, rather than continue to operate under the same conditions, you've got to re, re-plan because new information has come in. And if you don't, that's where it just shakes itself apart. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously the system we're looking at in this particular example isn't one that has a system three. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, uh, it's quite, quite a bit more uh, decentralized and chaotic than that. Uh, uh, Matt, go ahead. Yeah, I, I was also uh, immediately reminded of, uh, um, you know, how you can kind of watch it, you know, break apart in real time, basically on social media, like especially Twitter. And, you know, it, it, it's such an accelerator for, 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 for this that it, it's, it's kind of morbidly fascinating to watch it because, like, uh, um, you know, you'll, you'll see, like, little subcultures fragmenting. And, you know, they'll, they'll be saying things where, like, not only do you have to know about that subculture, you have to know about, like, the subcultures that it's in hostile contact with, and you have to know exactly what bits of information jump ship. So, like, you know, you, you'll see people, you know, uh, who, you know, maybe even kind of know, know their joke lexicon at this point, but, like, you know, they'll say stuff that makes no sense at face value. And then you realize there's, there's like five layers of like, a, a, you know, they're making fun of a catchphrase that the other side started deploying that, you know, like they started, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, turning into an in-joke themselves. So like, uh, you know, you, you'll, you'll, you'll see leftists on Twitter, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, make fun of like something that was apparently like some like, you know, like a, a op-ed headline you know, from some crazy shit lib. And then, like, 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 it makes no sense unless you go five layers deep. And I, I think that's kind of what uh, it, it breaking apart actually looks like. Because, you know, while, you know, you have these little, you have these little rabbit holes of, uh, um, you know, of, mean, uh, of, of meaning. But, like, it's totally fragmented. Like, I mean, you know, so, someone who's not totally plugged into that, you know, it means nothing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, for sure, for sure. Um... So, yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing to consider maybe down the line is, like, how this polarization operates, like, within subcultures in the context of a larger culture. Because I guess, like, in the case that we're talking about here, we're talking much more about sort of, like, an international media system as opposed to something which is so... uh nested uh and dense uh like twitter um 
Okay, so let's move on. Um, the cybernetic regulatory system, as described, runs primarily on the analysis of options as recognized within and elucidated by regulatory models that do not display requisite variety. Insofar as this process is fed by inspired leakages from the supposed seats of power, this apparently journalistic activity could be regarded as a form of decision or action on the part of a government itself. It is noteworthy that what would strictly be a political decision, they shall not pass, or a political action, send a gunboat, is frequently avoided by its simulation through the low-variety models of these regulatory loops. In itself, this has a cathartic effect. But the situation that is depicted in these quasi-imaginary terms stands to break down, because the regulator does not contain an adequate model of that which it seeks to regulate. This circumstance would appear to increase the likelihood of both covert action, which, so long as it remains covert, is not susceptible to this system of naive filtration, and of surprise action, namely that action which the system did not envisage and cannot therefore handle. Covert action by the United States throughout the Chilean story, which has been freely admitted by now and documented, is an example of the former. The Entebbe raid by Israel on Uganda is an outstanding example of the latter. So, uh... We have first the point that, um, of course, leaks, quote-unquote, are often, uh, you know, sort of deliberate uh, on the part of governments uh, or other political actors. Um, and then we have the idea that... Um, in order to not... Uh, suffer the potential consequences of taking political action, uh, just sort of floating the idea of taking the action in the media uh, is, is used as a kind of simulatory process. Uh, but the problem there is that uh, the simulation machine is more complex than the actor that is coding for it. So, like, it tends to get out of hand. Uh, and therefore, we have this, like, alternative mode of action, uh, which is to either keep things out of the media entirely because of that possible runaway effect, or to uh, sidestep the uh, simulation entirely and sort of, like, the collective model of reality that it represents by just taking surprise action out of the blue. Um, yeah. So let's go to Shane. So the, 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 the term simulation there makes me think system four, right? And it makes me wonder if what beers may be getting at is that the media in this case is a kind of, um, outboard brain that the government is using to feel out possible futures for itself. A very degenerated form of like the simulation that you would ask of the system for. 
wise where you're supposed to simulate your futures and by making like these little leaks and stuff and then the the reaction is, is bad or whatever they're they're kind of like feeling it out and it's it's an extremely degenerated form of the system four um and it, it, it that that feels right especially like with um the covid stuff that's been going on here where it seems like government policy on things like schools opening and stuff and well fucking everything basically is oscillating wildly because in one day they'll say oh we're going to open the schools tomorrow and then the next day they're like no we're going to shut them and stuff like that and it's, it's almost like they're yeah that like the media frenzy like fucking fish tank that's tearing itself to shreds is the sort of bizarre slime mold brain of of government like the midbrain like simulating possible futures and simulating reactions to actions and that and that they're they're then responding to that as like that, that's why it looks incoherent it's because it's what a brain does of like doing these multiple overlapping simulations um that then converge on on actual action i don't know am, am i way off on that no i think that makes a lot of sense like you look at uh sort of like the history of politics in the uk um where in the 80s labor uh decides that the reason they're losing is because they aren't able to control a media narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, right? And yeah. then under Blair, you have this incredibly media control-focused um, style of governance, mm-hmm. which sort of like infects the entire ruling class until mm-hmm. it just becomes this sort of like I don't know like appendage of <laughs> the like <laughs> the the libidinal id of the media <laughs> like just, right. yeah when you well, get people like Boris Johnson it's just like it's like yeah like you're kind of steering the ship but well, yeah, it's just sort right. of like in a weird relationship with uh, the, the 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 gut reactions of uh, the media sphere. Yeah. So, like, if if System Four is like something like an imagination, right? It's like either conscious or unconscious, right? There's there's a sense in which your brain simulate. Like, if you, it's like, oh, I should run and get that boss. Your brain will simulate what might happen if you try to run for the boss now. And then mm-hmm. you might then come up with overlapping kind of outcomes like, well, I could run and not catch it, in which case it was a waste of time, or there's ice on the ground, so I probably shouldn't run, or maybe it is close enough that I could catch it, and so on, or maybe I still don't want to do that because I look, look like a fool, and, and so on. So there's those kind of overlapping predictions and imaginings of what a future could be. Um, and that's kind of what the media is, is that that's the role of the like interface between governance and media in this kind of case, right? Like that the the, the government will, will test run a possible mm-hmm. action by putting it out to the media, seeing what blows up and what doesn't, um, and then roll with it, or like that, like they get a signal back from the imagination that says, no, 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 that's going to be, that's going to do such and such thing. And so, I don't know, like, and again, in what we have is an extremely degenerated form of a system four, but it seems to actually be there. Uh, and it's, Maybe one of its problems is it's running synchronously in real time. Because the, the kind of system for imagination stuff that the era wants us to do is parallel and uh, non-real time. 
it's 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 you know you you run multiple parallel simulations before the fact. Now the problem here is that the system four elements are embedded in the material loop itself, and are just synchronous with the loop. Uh, so you don't really get an imagination, but it's something that stands in the place. It, it stands in the place of what the system four would probably be. I don't know. But there's there's something eerie about this. Well, and this is like into poetry art, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if the solution is to is 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 in Baudrillard because he's never interested in solutions. It's probably, it's probably a description uh, of a problem that's more than a paragraph that we get from beer, but hey. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think like the thing is that um, that gets us back into the strategies that beer brings up here, right? In terms of like either doing it covertly or by surprise. So, like, if you want to run your system four as, like, a network system that deals with all your system ones, um, then you have to run that, like, in a sort of, like, media isolation bubble unless you want it to just be get, uh, you just want it to be drawn into the, uh, synchronous variety reducing cycle that Beer is describing here. Um, so that's a real problem, right? Uh, maintaining that separation. Uh, okay, so let's go to Jeremy. So there's a group of ways back called the Church of the Subgenius. And uh, great parody religion stuff. But they actually did some politics too. And one of the things they did in their political wing was to say talking about the U.S. government, the U.S. government in their, like, conspiracy theory parody is entirely set up so that you blame it rather than the people in power. That all of the trappings, the president, the Congress, the Supreme Court, all the state reps, everything, are basically performing a theater so that you get outraged by the kayfabe going on with these actors when actually what's really happening is the conspiracy, which to them is like the amalgamate, basically it's the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie, like is actually running the show. And so I see some of this in, in beers, in this idea that like there's, you know, the media is constantly propping up who you should give a shit about. And Especially, like, I don't even consume a lot of celebrity media because it just fills me with existential horror. I don't know who any of these people are and I don't care. But even in the politics part, you know, people, you know, the media wants you to get really excited about Mayor Pete, you know? And I don't give a shit about Mayor Pete. I I, I don't care. He's not relevant to my life in any way. You know, maybe if I had to get a grant from the transportation department, he would become relevant. But, you know, there's a lot of this sort of kayfabe where the media, you know, it's it's the media wants you to play chess with its pieces. Even if the actual chess game is going on on a different board that you can't, that's not immediately in front of you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Matt, go ahead. 
Oh, definitely. I mean, like, uh, I, I, I feel like, uh, um, you know, like, see, like media trial balloons as like, you know, like a feedback loop with like a lot of uh, um, uh, um, decision making power in terms of like public opinion. Like that's almost giving it too much credit. Like, you know, like there, like that's certainly an element to it. But I think that also even, you know, uh, that, that maybe even has more to do with like how like a, a, a leaked possibility will affect um, the stock market, which, you know, I mean, like, like, like that's probably more like like the feedback loop there than, than like a public opinion poll about, you know, a leaked plan. But yeah, I mean, cause it's also a distraction. You know, I mean, it's also that, OK, yeah, yeah, th- th- this the, 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 these are the things that, 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 that are going on. You know, I mean, this is what should be on your radar. And for the most part, it'll be stuff that, you know, can, kind of like deeply doesn't matter sure yeah 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 um yeah uh definitely uh as Rudy said in the chat here there's a lot of covid restrictions where they like floated in the media see the reaction and then decide if they'll actually go ahead with it or do something different um yeah uh, okay, well, let's continue down this road. Um, so, when because of the entropic drift that steadily erodes variety in this crisis regulator, polarization is eventually induced because no more than two states of the system can now be discriminated, it may be recognized by agonizing displays of insincerity. These arise because the induced dichotomy is spurious. The rights of neither pole can be discussed rationally and therefore become the subject of quote-unquote moral stance and outpourings of sanctimonious quote-unquote ethical dicta. This is not to argue that there can be no such thing as a genuine ethical position. There can. But if ethical stands which appear to be based on value judgments are in fact generated merely by differences in the premises of the models that have been inadequately constructed and meritriculously purveyed, then this would explain their apparent insincerity, in that politicians palpably adopt inconsistent ethical standards from one world crisis to the next. This has recently become a scandal of such proportions that, I suggest, no morality will sustain its credibility for much longer. Well, wasn't that prophetic? Uh, What then will become of the motivation to warfare? It would be naive indeed to answer peace. Um, Okay. Uh, Finally, there is one very simple consequence, aside from war itself, of the systematic loss of systemic variety as the process uh, depicted in figure 50 unfolds. The crisis generates possibilities within the world situation of such complexity that they cannot even be expressed within the model structures made available. Thus, all possible solutions to the problem are rendered unacceptable to at least one faction. This is, I think, outstandingly true of the apparently endless war of attrition in Northern Ireland. And it has to be conceded that the same point could be made about Allende's problem in unifying his own coalition. Great. Comments on these two points. Uh, Shane, go ahead. An example that just popped into my head was, um, I'm not sure which Adam Curtis documentary this is in, but it's where um, 
the media are covering, like the BBC are covering some conflict in, in Africa. And they have this general sort of framework for reporting where there's the, um, there's the evil aggressors and then there's the good guys or whatever in, in any of these kind of conflicts. They have a very straightforward kind of model to present on the media. And then they get into this situation where on camera they're, you know, doing their, their broadcast bit and they're, they're at a refugee camp. And behind them, like, the refugees are hacking each other to bits, which completely scrambles the narrative. And now they don't know how to put, how to make it make sense on the news. Because the, these are supposed to be the good guys, you know? And this is, and then, the, you know, because of course the, the actual conflict is multifaceted and various. But the coverage, the, the framework for coverage couldn't possibly be. And then when this happened, they, I think they just stopped, kind of stopped covering this and stopped talking about it. So it's just that they won't even, like, it can't even be processed in this, like, synthetic imaginary that we're all kind of trapped in. Um, and things that, things that can't, like, the actual complexity of the world can't be processed in those terms, and so it gets dropped. Um, I mean, the same thing happens to all kinds of institutions that are in freefall. And it's just like, oh, here's an inconvenient fact. Well, what fact? <laughs> you know? Uh, I, I didn't see anything. Yeah, I mean, I guess... Listening to like Radio Warner cover all these like conflicts that don't get covered very much in the world, um, you get the sense that there's some kind of like procedure for deciding how to cover these wars, which is uh -huh. like, first of all, are they our ally? Like, are our allies involved? Uh, if yes, can we somehow provide, uh, portray them in a positive light? Uh, if no, uh, let's not report on the war. Uh, if yes, then we'll report on the war and make it about the good side versus the bad side. And then there's, like, some edge cases, right, where it's, like, more about, like, oh, we'll just focus on the bad of the other side or whatever. But it, it feels like there you could, like, work out, like, a decision tree for how the media decides to cover foreign wars uh, based on just, like, yeah, very basic principles of uh self-interest and uh availability of of uh props for their drama that they're putting on um all right uh let's go to matt and then jake yeah and, and i mean like uh the the, you know, the details here i i, I think are uh, uh useful but you know like uh, uh you know polarization in general is one of those things that that i think is um you know something that people talk about like a little bit more than is warranted by its importance because like in a lot of like the really fundamental issues like most people are actually very consistent you know i mean stuff like uh, um you know um uh, um uh uh like like um you know um Medicare and Medicaid being able to negotiate drug prices, which they can't right now. And, you know, like a, a lot of like distribution, uh, um, you know, economic distribution stuff. This is like super majority, you know, more than two thirds of the country supports it. But, you know, like uh, we act like it's 50 50 because really it's, you know, it's sectors of capital that, you know, have like slightly different interests and where, you know, for, for, for some of them, it actually is beneficial for, for, for them to have like some more social services. And, uh, you know, because, the, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the bourgeoisie have a disproportionate say and, you know, a lot of these things really are just factional fights between them, you know, things look a little bit more um, uh, um, fractured than they really are. When, when reality, you know, like it's really just the fact that most people have no meaningful, you know, access to the control switch at all. And so what they want is irrelevant. 
you know, the polarization actually isn't like the, the, the deciding factor there. It's mostly just the fact that they don't have a control, they, they don't have a working, um, a, a steering wheel in the first place. Yeah, uh, that's, that's a good point. Um, definitely. I think the polarization, uh, where you have people just sort of declaring very loudly for causes that they don't believe in um, is a feature of uh, certainly American politics. But um, it's important to also consider, as you said, like, well, who gets to add to that conversation or set the terms of what the polarity is? Um, because, yeah, you, you these, these positions that are held are just like, yeah, varieties of the bourgeois position. Uh, Matt, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I, I, I think it's part of why, you know, like, like the Berian, you know, like Cybersyn, you know, style of like incorporating digital democracy, um, uh, uh, channels. Like, I think that's part of why it's so important because I mean, you know, like, like the stuff that's enshrined in our, in, you know, like law and tradition, our stuff for governing in 18th century landholders republic in the U.S. You know, yeah. and things like other parts of the government, you know, I mean, uh, uh, work on much faster routes, and so l l like uh, like the channel capacity actually is just isn't even high enough uh, here because you know like giving yeah the universal suffrage was really something that was only ever allowed you know grudgingly and you know <laughs> they, they, they've kind of always regretted it and, you know have been kind of trying to push back on it as much as possible l like uh, that's why you really need you know the, the you know uh, technology to to enable like mass participation on you know on, on multiple time scales and then multiple decision scales. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, let's go to Jeremy and then to Jake. Uh, so two points. One about the fourth bullet and one about the fifth. The, um, on the fourth bullet point, like there's an American congressman, uh, Matt Getz, who basically is a rich, drunken frat boy turned congressman. He's a conservative Republican. His dad probably owned the car dealership in his town and got him what he wanted. He's had like six DUIs and now stands up and beats his breast about morality. Um, but there was, he's in a committee and the committee's ground to a standstill because he wants to demand that every session open with them all standing and saying the Pledge of Allegiance. And, it has nothing to do with the committee he's involved in. And he's ground everything to a halt, demanding that everyone say the Pledge of Allegiance and having a vote about it. And everyone else is like, look, we have business to attend to. Shut the fuck up. And, but American Republicans have a tendency to do this where they'll just take an issue and, and turn it into a binary. You know, you have to say the Pledge of Allegiance before we can have a meeting because that's the patriotic thing to do, and if you don't do it, you're showing yourself off as unpatriotic, when that's fucking stupid and has nothing to do with anything. You know, it's not even patriotism, it's just ridiculous performative bullshit. But the Republicans love that kind of thing, where they're like, we're going to make a wedge issue out of absolutely nothing, because we know our people 
will amplify it on talk radio and be incredibly outraged over it, even though it's completely un- inconsequential. It's a cheap, easy victory. And the other is, I remember, um, I guess I was in undergraduate when Hastings Banda died, who was a dictator of Malawi, longest-serving ru- longest Afric- post-colonial African leader. And I was listening to the BBC at the time, which you had to get on shortwave radio, and they did a whole hour on the legacy of Banda and his role in the Cold War and anti-colonial and anti-communist struggles and all this stuff. And just out of curiosity, I looked in American media, and nobody even reported that it happened. And I was wondering about that, and I was realizing it was my first realization that Africa, especially Sub-Saharan Africa, just is not mentioned at all in the U.S. media. And it's because they're terrified that their viewers or listeners don't want to look at a map and look at a country on a map that they don't already know. And so... Spending an hour talking about the dictator of Malawi, who was the leader for 27 years and shaped a lot of sub-Saharan African politics, is telling the listener that they're ignorant because they don't know this. And that this would be received incredibly poorly and would cause pain to the viewer. So rather than inform the viewer, they just don't even mention. You know, this whole idea that This crisis in Malawi, which was a real crisis because there was one party rule and it collapsed afterwards and all this stuff, was never even expressed because talking about Malawi was inexpressible in the meta language of American media. It just was absolutely inexpressible. You couldn't even say anything because it would cause a crisis in that brain of the listener according to the media censorship of the time. And we deal with a lot of that, I think, in a lot of different media where you cannot bring up something that's going to prove that the listener has no idea about something. They, they need to be flattered. They don't need to be challenged. Yeah, well, I think this... I mean, first of all, that's why there's the PBS Nightly News, right, in the U.S., is so that people in Washington can listen to it or watch it or whatever. Um, it's very, very, uh, very clubby, very, uh, uh, you know, very inside baseball for those folks. Um, uh, but the second thing I think is that it's also that the BBC is actually listened to in Africa itself. (laughs) And so it's like, because of the colonial legacy there, um, the BBC is very much a part of that conversation uh, and is seeking to control it. Uh, Whereas the American media, like, they just don't really have that same kind of arrangement. Um... Yeah. So, uh, it's, yeah, it's an interesting combination of like the colonial legacy making it a matter of concern for the people of the like imperial country or post imperial country, but then also like engaging it in 
the post colonies themselves. Uh, so it kind of goes both ways. Uh, anyway, um, let's go to Jake. Yeah, I think that very interesting. I think I don't know. It's you know, I it's interesting to think about like the the sort of we have been in crisis for so long in this, like, in the U.S., in the world, you know, in the Western world generally, that, like, that sort of polarization has reached such a level where, for some segment of the population that they've kind of captured in especially, like, traditional media circles, like with, like, right-wing pop radio and Fox News and stuff, to where they have all of these, like, particular shibboleths and, and like, code, not not code words, but, like, basically code words that they can use to sort of like re-engage their audience. And, you know, like even, even newer right-wing media, like, uh, YouTube, uh, people, uh, use the same kind of thing, you know, where it's like, they've got the sort of dog whistles and they've got these like, uh, ideas and like common sense things that they can kind of apply in, you know, not in context if you're, or like, it's somewhat out of context if you're like, knowledgeable about the subject but if you only know the kind of like surface level stuff that you would know from like listening to these things or watching these things then then it like reinforces it's it's a positive feedback for their like ideology um and it's become so so i don't i don't, I, I don't want to say like broadly disconnected from the world as as it exists but 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 it is that you know like just the, not trying to be like super uncharitable but at the same time they're very uncharitable so kind of got to give it to them or, or not give it to them. But, um, so it's very interesting. And, and yeah, especially like this bit about the, like the politicians just adopting ethical standards that are inconsistent and people have become so jaded and cynical to it. It's like, this is why we're at this point where 400,000 people have died in the U S of COVID and no one gives a shit because it's become so abstracted. And so like, well, what is, you know, ethics, like, what is it? And then to the, to the people that that still have some semblance or or uh, provide lip service to it, they're just they they just say, oh well, it's just not even real. It's just not happening. It just isn't. You know, they're, they're so outside of their framework. They've become so polarized against the potential that like the government and not the government, but like society, you know, at writ large, could could fail the uh, to 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 protect people's lives in such a massive extent that it just they, they just don't. I think it's real. And then I would also, I would also say that like the right has very effectively polarized people against the concept of government to the fact, to the, to the effect that they're able to blame so much of what happens just on governments. When of course, in reality, it's, it's always been a, a, a merging of government and business in a, in a sense, you know, not in the like fascist sense traditionally, you know, but like in the technical sense of like these government and corporation, like government and corporate people are often the same people and they communicate very frequently and they, plan things out in a way. Um, but then of course they're just using that to like say like, well, any government is bad and government itself can never solve the problem because it's inextricably linked to this. Um, and then, yeah, I think that last bit, the last point of the, like that as the crisis unfolds, it's just like impossible to actually express it within the channel. So it's just, so that some people get kind of like pushed out of it, out of those channels. And I would, I would say, 
I don't know. I don't know if this is like part of why there's been so much like left splitting. You know, if it if it's reduced, if it can be reduced to that, or if it's, I mean, obviously it can't be reduced to that. But like, you know, if that's that sort of main component of that kind of thing, or if it's something else. But but I would say it's definitely like a thing to grapple with and consider like, you know, what are the ways in which again, like systemic variety can be reinjected into the system um, in a way that doesn't that prevents people from kind of being shut out because I guess I guess uh, you know just sort of talking over and thinking about it more like when people like feel their voices aren't being heard in like an organization you know that their input isn't it isn't useful or considered useful or uh, there's no place for it you know then that's when that kind of thing can happen and I guess you could consider that a systemic loss of variety in a sense so so maybe the the solution is just to like consistently allow people to sort of inject their their variety through their own point of view into like internal and external facing like aspects of the organization um, or maybe just more internal I guess because it's about internal cohesiveness and not as much about external like perception of the organization but um yeah, I don't know, just, like, thinking about, like, in my own organization of, like, recent, uh, you know, like, people just sort of talking on Discord or whatever leads to kind of, like, so, you know, people talking past each other, right, and the solution to that being to kind of, like, inject some kind of, um, not, like, slowing down of the communication, but, like, trying to get people to write more long-form articles detailing their positions rather than, like, just making smaller comments, but then also trying to like systematize the way of doing that to not put the burden of effort onto the people making the like sometimes offhand, sometimes uh, useful and, and insightful comments and like compiling those into a document, a longer document that can be disseminated. Um, so as to like sum up those ideas, but not, you know, not in a way that, again, it's just like collecting that kind of like, variety that's been injected maybe more careless like somewhat carelessly but still like representative of, of the variety that exists within the system uh just into a way that's like more processable right by the people who aren't able to keep up with like the fast paced variety that or not variety but the fast pacedness of like online discussion forums kind of thing yeah, I'm sure something like that must be necessary. Um, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, you, you definitely see that where it's like, yeah, you'll have a discussion, um, it'll get polarized, uh, people will become more and more partisan, and then there's like a bunch of people who are just like, I don't see my opinion reflected in this at all, and I'm not even going to engage. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, uh, let's move on just a little bit more and then we'll wrap things up here. Um, these comments complete the present account of the cybernetics of crisis. The whole exposition of this model has been put forward under four headings, which were introduced many pages ago as four major cybernetic requirements of homeostatic stability. To recapitulate, one, the system is obedient to Ashby's law of requisite variety. 2. Information channels maintain variety entrusted to them. 
3. Transducers neither attenuate nor amplify variety. And 4. Uh, the time cycle is synchronous for all subsystems. Yeah, the time cycle is synchronous for all subsystems. The extent to which a self-organizing system recognizes these requirements, seeks to obey them, flouts them by accident or design, and finally achieves its comeuppance at their instigation, will indeed determine that system's viability. The outlook by these tokens for crisis regulation must be adjudged bleak. These four requirements were drawn respectively from the four principles of organization enunciated in this book's companion volume, The Heart of, the Enter uh, the Heart of Enterprise. They are exemplifications of those general principles. The model offered here, however, is merely a start in elaborating the cybernetics of crisis. In working on it, a haunting question has been in the forefront of my vision. It is an important question, and one attending all utterances that could be labeled managerial cybernetics. If it is naive to reduce the variety of real-life crises by employing attenuators of the kind described, which, for example, include the use of pungent variety destroyers such as sarcasm and dramatic irony, then is it not also naive and indeed equivalently dangerous to propose relatively simple models of crisis regulation, using on recent occasions somewhat similar expository tricks? I wish precisely to restate two fundamental tenets of any science, of which cybernetics is an example, that all natural processes exhibit formal invariances, and that the corpus of scientific knowledge is composed of statements which not only state, but suitably constrain such invariant relations within the compass of their applicability. In this book, then in seeking to disclose a model of any viable system, and in this section of the book, then in seeking to disclose a model of societary crisis, vast amounts of variety have been discarded. This has sometimes been done explicitly, as, for example, by dismissing it in sarcasm or dramatic irony. But usually it has been done implicitly, by privately selecting what should be included in and what should be excluded from the developing models. If mistakes have been made, the models can be tested to destruction. They seem to me to be useful, but they are cheerfully submitted to the Popperian criteria of disproof. This is not true of the variety reduction engaged in by crisis manipulators themselves. They are not seeking invariances. If I went on to say that they are seeking, it could be called an expository trick. But they themselves neither doubt nor deny the pragmatic values to which they answer, and on behalf of which variety is justifiably axed to the bone. Perhaps this statement will dismiss Bonquo's ghost, the specter of less-than-requisite variety from the cybernetic feast. I hope so. Uh, but I shall end this section on the cybernetics of crisis with a reference to another specter and another feast. Soon after the beginning of the work in Chile in 1971, and I think that the date was in January 1972, the Chilean government formally applied to the British government for financial aid under an existing scheme in, or in support of all that we were intending to do. This was not my application, and I even refused to endorse it. I had traveled 8,000 miles to work independently of my familiar friends in England, 
the can't-be-donners of those days. This I explained in Santiago, but I did not try actually to veto this alarming proposal. Considerable hard currency sums were due to be spent in England, after all, in projects, salaries, and equipment. The Chilean request must have been duly processed because I eventually found myself having, or found myself having lunch in London with an officer of the Department of Overseas Aid. He wanted to know how things were going, and I told him how they had gone. The work had been on course. Unfortunately, exactly ten days earlier, there had been an armed insurrection. President Allende, thousands of his friends, and some of mine had been killed. Every life and every freedom was at risk. <clears throat> the long-cherished tradition of democracy and constitutional government in Chile had been brought to an abrupt halt. The project, after two dramatic years, was over. The gentleman asked, actually, sorry, the gentleman actually asked why. We have been discussing naivety. We could map this incident onto the model. Who was naive? Was it the Chilean government who asked for support two years too soon? Was it the British government who could not understand what the support was for until two, ten days too late? Was it the government of the United States who funded the coup d'etat? Or was it I who paid for the lunch? All right, uh, let's go to Matt. Yeah, my, um, lot of like, you know, emotive stuff in there. But actually, the, the thing that jumped out at me the most was um, him specifying um, synchronous governance of all the substance, because like I, I think that's one area where there's actually been some like um, uh, technical advances that you know might actually make that kind of either you know easier or just not even the right question anymore. So you know, like there's been a lot of advance in like distributed systems stuff. Like, I think this was written in, like, a, or, you know, the second edition was in, like, the early 80s. Um, Paxos, which is, like, you know, like, the, like, heavy hitter is my understanding. Um, uh, uh, you know, like, that, that, that was um, 1988 or 89. So, I mean, you know, I, I, I think, um, you know, change, you know re relaxing or changing, you know, specification of the synchronicity requirement. I think, you know, like, uh, th th that makes you actually kind of optimistic because, like, yeah, people are actually um, uh, um, experimenting with ways to do distributed decision-making that don't require that kind of hard synchronicity, which actually probably is impossible to do with, like, a very large um, uh, um, population. I mean, you know, the, 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 you know the, 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 like, the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie is, like, a thing, you know, I think partially because of information flow, like, like problems. Like, it was impossible to have, like, real democracy. Um, uh, uh, at, uh, you know, but before a certain point, um, uh, uh, but you know, like, uh, um, you know, between like, um, existing like technical infrastructure plus, uh, um, algorithmic understandings, you know, I mean, you know, we might actually like have like a way to do this. Right. Uh, well, that's a very interesting point. I mean, I suppose ultimately all subsystems of the system are, are synchronous, but it's, you know, there's a lot of like there is a the, a synchronization of, of asynchronous systems, right? At, at some point, uh, but the ability to do asynchronous work uh, is it quite interesting? Is that is that correct, Matt? Or is there uh, actually uh, something fundamentally different about these systems? Yes, yeah, so, so, so it actually is kind of like, well, I, I, I guess it also depends on uh, the way in which uh, uh, beer means it. But I mean, um, uh, um, um, Paxos is about like moving things to what he calls like logical clocks, 
where like um uh, stuff can happen out of sync but i mean you know you can, yeah like i guess it, it sort of eventually becomes synchronous in a way but um actually i'm not even sure if if, if that if, if, if that's the right word but it, but it's um they'll stay you know co- coordinated is maybe a better right maybe a better sure word. sure uh shane go ahead I think maybe what Matt is trying to get at is that, like, in um, computer science and, like, especially in database systems or, like, distributed systems, uh, we have now have these concepts of, like, uh, distributed consensus and, like, eventual consistency. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. systems that are able to, like, say, a distributed database that has uh, any number of nodes, so long as it's odd, will be able to coordinate the nodes so long as they can, like, reach each other. They can, like, kind of elect a leader, but without ever referring to a central, like coordinating authority yes so like it, it it kind of removes the need for like oh no there's there's the there's the master server and then there's all the, the other ones that um, a distributed mesh of nodes can actually come to coherence without necessarily and it can do it asynchronously but i think you're you're right kyle that like what what's happening is it's eventually eventually consistent not like not necessarily synchronous but eventually consistent right 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 that makes sense yeah. yes it's a kind of deferred consistency where for a moment, you might get an inconsistent snapshot of state across the, the services, but they will converge on the truth. So that if you, like, I don't know, you update your shopping cart or whatever, for a microsecond, like, there will be an inconsistent state of your cart, but, like, after uh, a few microseconds, it will all kind of shift into place. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and uh, Jake, let's... Uh, um, yeah, that's... Yeah, that's interesting, I... I um yeah this is it's all very like you know kind of hands this little point with a very kind of poetic thing of like well you know if things had turned out differently maybe things would be different you know which is like yeah which is true um but also you know is I think I don't remember what I was, what I was going to say when I raised my hand initially, but um, yeah, I the 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 bit where you know he talks about these two fundamentals of science, um, you know, as I think an important like he's kind of important where he's he's identifying that you know like people aren't usually actually trying to like find some kind of true like true way of, of doing this most effectively like they're not they may say they're trying to find like oh we want to do this in accordance with like democracy and, and whatever especially when it comes from like capitalist institutions or whatever. we want to do this with people's you know protecting the all the corporate speak you know but then it like the outcomes are not that and it's because really what they want is just like they have a kind of idea of what of how things should be going, and they chop off the things that don't comport, compart with that, like, uh, that don't fit with that, you know? Um, and they, they just call it, like, truth-seeking or whatever because it's convenient uh, to use that language, but in reality, you know, it's not. Uh, it's not about that. Um, yeah. yeah, well, I mean, it's like... Okay, so... This is not true of the variety reduction engaged in by crisis manipulators themselves. They are not seeking invariances. 
uh, so you know they they are bound to pragmatic values uh, yeah. that they they're they're just seeking uh, they're just seeking uh, positional advantages. I mean, it's like the uh, like the GameStop thing, you know, with like the people who are like most like who are gunning up the like redditors and everything, like who actually had some pre-existing stake in GameStop, in GameStop stock, you know, like, and so they were just manipulating the crisis in a in a sense to to gain profit, you know, they weren't actually interested in like fucking over the banks or the the hedge funds or whatever, even though they said that, and maybe they could still laugh along with everyone else when some hedge fund went bankrupt or whatever, but like their, 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 uh, their goal was, was to use the crisis for their own end in a sense. And then of course, you know, when you take a step back, like, I think another part of this is like, you know, something that beer emphasizes a lot of like, what, what is the system in focus that you're looking at? You know, like what level of recursion are you looking at here? Because if you look at the sort of level of like, again, to the, the GameStop thing, if you're looking at the level of like individual traders and like people are participating in this thing, then you might think, well, these people are going to lose. They're losing by us doing this thing. But then you sort of take the, the look at the broader system that it's within and you realize, yeah, of course, they're going to just change the rules and like lie and cheat. Like they're going to just shut their shut. They'll shut down trading or they'll get a bunch of money just from the government for no reason, you know, or not for no reason, but, you know, for, for, for nothing, um, because it's part of this larger system, which requires these people to not go out of business to remain coherent you know, uh, in a sense, like make sure the market doesn't just full on collapse. And I don't think necessarily that, that stop, you know, I don't know the details, uh, more than, uh, most people I would say, but like, you know, this, this sort of, the system needs to re remain coherent. It needs to remain like people, people who are the ones manipulating the crisis or the ones that are like, uh, able to act within the crisis because they've got a huge amount of money to move around and power to do it are going to do what they need to do to maintain the like systemic organization, like the systemic coherence. And what, and if that means cutting off some people at the bottom who have like a hundred dollars invested in stocks, like so be it, you know, they'll just cut them off and it's, and it's fine because it doesn't really matter. And people get mad about it because they, they have this notion that like, well, things work this way, uh, that, you know, the market is free or some bullshit, you know, but it's like, you know, just any uh, understanding of the facts, and certainly from this perspective, like reveals how like hollow that is. You know, right? Uh, Shane, go ahead. So I think the the important context for those couple of paragraphs is that Beer is asking asking is if simple models are part of the problem of crisis, why do I have the right to tell you about a simple model of crisis? Mm -hmm. And the difference between, like, so the, the difference between the scientist and the fool is that the scientist is, throw, they're both throwing away variety. But the scientist is doing so to, to trim down to what he thinks is the invariance of the system under study, whereas the fool is simply a fool and is throwing it away for whatever foolish reason. Or, you know, for the crisis manipulators are, so like the difference between Beer and Henry Kissinger is that, like, you know, they're both trying, they're both operating on relatively simple models. Kissinger is doing it for absolutely opportunistic and hateful reasons. Beer is trying to arrive at a what hopefully is a set of invariants about crisis in general, and that's his that's his that's his his excuse basically, or his 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 um you know his his offer for why why this is still relevant, and it's it's our escape hatch out of the kind of epistemic 
uh, tapis of well, we we just can't know the details, yada yada, right? Like, and I said, well, every perspective is just as dumb as every other. No, that there is a virtue being posited there that like developing simple, relatively simple models that are tractable that identify in very truly invariant features of the system is a virtuous way of having a simple model uh, versus you know just having some horseshit model or having one that's highly motivated. Um, so I think that that's the sort of the warbush that he's going around there. Yeah, I think um, I'm. Uh... I'm not sure what I think about Beer's philosophy of science here. Um, mm-hmm. I, I really don't know yet. I'd have to give it some more thought. Um, you know, excusing it by saying, well, it's submitted to the Papyrian criteria of disproof. Mm-hmm. It seems like, well... You need to get some Lakatoshin there, you know? Okay, but... <laughs> <laughs> then you kind of yeah. run into like all of the typical problems of applying Papyrianism, especially mm-hmm. in social sciences, um, where it's like, oh yeah, you can't actually reliably do experiments, so how are you <laughs> going to disprove or prove something? Or sorry, disprove yeah, so. something is the, the only one that matters. Uh, so... Yeah, so bleh, I, I think that would probably need some more examination. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't really sign off 100% on that, even though, like, I get what he's trying to say with, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for invariant principles just like a scientist would, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, that is something that is distinct from... Uh, yeah, sort of pragmatic positional maneuvering uh, mm-hmm. for advantage. Uh, I have a lot of I have a lot of sympathy for Beer at this moment, right? Because I can kind of imagine him with the pen in the hand, and then pausing and going, "Fuck," because I've I've just been writing this whole fucking book about this stuff, and then it turns out that maybe simple models are a problem. You know, this this sort of thing going around in his head. Um, and I think I, I yeah his attempt at like sure get a way out, but like. It, it does seem to haunt him still, right? That, like, there is this kind of problem of, like, well, fuck, if, if there's just these hyper-complex crises and, you know, like, yeah, there's, there's, there's a real problem there. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I think the, the basic points that he's raised in the book about, like, you know, very complex systems and the need for variety attenuation in order to make anything tractable at all, operating in a universe of boundless complexity, um, are still very valid. Uh, there's really no getting around that. It's just a fact. Um, so what can we do with that is really a question. Uh, Matt, go ahead. Man, I mean, I'm 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 really grooving on uh, beer, beer philosophy of, of of science here. Actually, I'm a you know maybe not like you know capital P popperianism, but I mean yeah, like the basic idea of you know have verify ideas by experiment, see how well you know your models predict um, uh, the world, and you know and think of them in terms of their exportability. I I think his uh, stressing you know like something has to be simple enough to actually be transmitted and coordinate you know multiple people. You know I think I think that that is you know um. um uh, central to what makes science different than like a person's personal expertise, 
like, uh, you know, like, like your personal skills that, you know, you might not even have words for versus, you know, um, uh, as, as Bogdanov um, uh, would have said, you know, um, uh, um, models that help coordinate social labor. You know, like, and, you know, like, if, if that's what you're trying to do, you know, then you need something that can be transmitted across the social system. And so, yeah, like, uh, um, making your models with an eye toward that, I think, you know, as much as, like, uh, you know, there's some kind of hate toward reductionism in uh, some leftist adjacent circles, um, uh, uh, you know, like, the, I think that's just the only way to actually, you know, be effective in any way. Yeah, uh, I certainly agree that, uh, we do need reductionism in order to function. Uh, like, I think that aspect of the book that is raised is, is definitely valid. Uh, the thing that I am more skeptical about is uh, the application of Papirianism here, because, again, how are you going to design experiments for those purposes? Uh, it's just a... It's just a, it's, it's just a very... Like you could have, you could use cybernetics to do small scale, low complexity experiments and test your principles there with Papirian methods. But again, it's like in social sciences, like experiment design is very difficult to do uh, if if it's possible at all. Uh, and and I, I mean, it, it kind of gets to that sort of thing that Bureau was talking about, where like, governments will use the media as a simulation uh, machine rather than actually enact a policy because the consequences are so vast, right? And so, like, just doing experiments uh, for the purposes of, uh, like, arriving at Papirian truths seems like it is something that is largely off the table. Um, uh, Shane, go ahead. Yeah, I guess we could gesture to the kind of good enough uh, modeling and planning that we saw in People's Republic of Walmart, like with Amazon, with its like model of associations between products that's just like dynamically generated by the apparent associations. And we'll never know if it's the true map of the territory, but shrug, who gives a shit? And it, it works well enough, you know? I think that's probably the best we're ever going to get. Yeah, like that's right. gesturing at a different philosophy of science than what mm -hmm. you're just talking about here, right? Like, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, I, I guess I mean for, for us having moved on from Beer's position, that's the kind of thing we'd be, we'd be getting mm -hmm. rather than the Popperian, um experiment design. We would the best we could ever hope for is that the models never seem to be terribly wrong. That's 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 about as val as, as much validation we'll ever get. Um, also, the, the, the notion of like the transmissibility of, of models and theories also kind of like suggests a kind of tantalizing thing that maybe maybe time cube is a true theory, but it's just impossible to transmit the whole thing in in, in full detail. And even if it was transmitted, it would be irrelevant anyway. Um, so maybe maybe total models of truth are are, uh, are actually baffling and, and impossible. Well, I mean, the the book started by throwing those out the window, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Total models of truth are absolutely <laughs> not on the table. Uh, totally. uh, uh, Matt, uh, go ahead. Hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was, was going to say actually, well, like I, I, I think uh, uh, we're reading a little bit too much into like uh, um, you know his mention of Popper because I mean like beer was hardcore like in pretty much everything except like this paragraph. 
into you know some version of anti-realism. You know, I mean, I'm a, 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 a what you know, what's it? Um, you know, constructivism and instrumentalism, and uh, even you know, they, they even called it second-order cybernetics. That you know, I mean, you're, you're not looking for the capital T truth. You're looking for you know good enough models like for a given purpose, and you know with an understand and with even an eye like with constructivists and um, second order cybernetics, we even even with an eye towards something that kind of like is easy for humans to wrap their minds around. Like the whole reason like the VSM has five components is because okay, you know, the, 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 that's like what you can keep track of. Like a human can keep track of like five things at once. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I'm just a little bit disturbed that he. He uh, sort of modded Bailey's to a very uh, almost like Platonist kind of uh, 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 model here. <laughs> it's like, well, you know, like if the the, the Republic will be Philip founded on invariant truths, uh, therefore it will be perfect because it's designed by philosophers, etc., etc. Blah blah blah. Uh, that that that's that's I don't think that's the general thrust of Beer's approach. That uh, go ahead. I'm oh, sorry. I'm, I'm, uh, for for record, I'm, uh, I, I think also um, uh, uh, the ways using invariance is maybe a little bit different than um, how, how you interpret it there. But like, uh, I don't think he means like invariant is in like yeah, well, like like these are you know the wor- the, the rules from the world of forms. I think it's just uh, regularities. You know, like there are invariants between two phenomena that you know um, uh, um, yeah. That that uh, that you know that, that are consistent. Um, uh, that you know, like uh, whether you're throwing a, a rock or whether you're throwing a glass, you know, force seems to equal mass times acceleration. Like just that kind of thing. Not like yeah, the, the, these like eternal mathematical truths. Just you know, things that are consistent between phenomena. Yeah, well, I think that is a valid hermeneutic move to read uh, this passage in the context of Beer's broader work. Um, I just. Uh, don't really agree with what this paragraph has to say uh, in itself. Um, so yeah, I, 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 yeah, I agree with the, the broader, broader thrust of what's beer, what beer is saying. Um, and I definitely recognize the amount of uh, stress he was under writing in this section as well. <laughs> so uh, yeah, uh, when we are in dire situations, it is uh, tempting to try to find some kind of certainty to latch onto. Um, so, uh, well, I think that does it for this section for, uh, this week. Uh, we're, we're getting there, folks. Um, okay. yeah. Making good progress. Not, not too much further. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah. See you next week for more. Uh, thanks for the discussion as always. And, uh, yeah. Take care. Fantastic. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.